listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Matt Hollander, a lifelong Chattanoogan, successful businessman, real estate investor, founder, and philanthropist. Matt, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we get to your career and your drive for success in everything you do, let me first ask you, what's in your morning cup? Oh, this morning? Yeah. It's actually ironic you ask. It's called Cult, C-U-L-T, coffee, and I'm an investor in this company out of Scottsdale, Arizona, so I'm just drinking mine black. Very good. Cult coffee. How'd you get involved with cult coffee? It's a long story. You want me to get into it? Sure, why Uh, not? So I'm also an investor in a... um, restaurant in Scottsdale called Thompson 105 and I just ironically on the golf course became friends with the owner Rick Federico he was one of the original founders of P.F. Chang and uh, he's also an investor in Colt Coffee and introduced me to those folks and they also make botanical beverages that are bottled that are uh, now in Walmart Whole Foods and on the west coast it's called Fry Foods so it's a growing company, and they asked me to sit on their board of advisors and help them promote their products here in the South, and you can buy it online, too. Oh, that's exciting. So is it just a coffee brand, or is, will there be retail? There's a, They have retail in Scottsdale, then they sell through distribution, and then online, and then direct to consumer at the Fry, Whole Food, and Walmarts. Gotcha. Well, you drink your coffee black, so you're my kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Why ruin the taste of good coffee? I, I do want to talk about um, your career. So in Chattanooga, you're, you're well-known, and you got your start in a family business. Why don't you start with that, how you not got started in the family business. We know how that works, but whole co-exteriors. When you started, what you were doing, and, and kind of that whole evolution. Yeah, so uh, going back even further, I grew up on a farm out in Appison, Tennessee, about 20 miles east of Chattanooga. I went to uh, public school. While I was attending Udwal High School, uh, I went to work for my father. We had a small window manufacturing business, and um, I started rolling window screens when I was 14 for a dollar a piece, and (laughs) I just grew up in the business. I manufactured for a few years, then I had my own installation crew, Uh, then I began selling Uh, Around 2005, I became president and started managing more of the business. And then in 07, um, I bought the business from my father. And then I just got really involved in peer groups and industry groups. Manufacturers would introduce me to other similar businesses. I started reading trade magazines and just, you know, I grew up watching my dad work so hard. uh, And we wouldn't be where we got without him Uh, but I wanted to do it differently and I knew I needed to build a team and I learned a lot through those peer groups and then I started building the team and hiring the right people to where I didn't have to do everything and then um, jumping ahead 15 years I sold the business in uh, 2021. Sounds pretty simple but there's a lot more to it than that so when did you start going in and sweeping the warehouse floor because that that's what generally happens in family businesses you're you're picking up odd jobs. Yeah, our business got started in the late 70s, and we were a wood-burning stove distributor. Then TVA uh, had a big push on alternative sources of energy, so we were the wood stove dealer for Tennessee, North Carolina, Alabama, and part of Kentucky, and um, it was a wintertime product. So my father in 79... Um, bought a window manufacturing company out of Knoxville that was making storm windows. 
and that's what led into us building replacement windows and it just evolved from there but to answer your question i'd say i was nine or ten years old when my dad started taking me to the warehouse with him and unloading these wood burning stoves i remember he would call and it was a big deal to the community and to our neighbors and to the few employees we had this 18 wheeler would show up with about 8400 pound wood burning stoves on it and we had paved uh, my grandfather's chicken house and that's we put concrete in the chicken house and racks and that's where we would store these wood burning stoves and my father actually started the business in what used to be my grandparents grocery store Hollander Grocery which was open for 49 years before the Walmarts of the world came along um, and I grew up in that store they had gas kerosene could make you a sandwich <laughs> get your family portrait there whatever you needed so that's where our business uh, started back in the 70s and I just grew up in it so you come from an entrepreneurial family you had the farm but you also had the grocery store so you grew up in that culture yeah, I guess uh, it's in my DNA. My father, prior to starting, and even when he started uh, Holco, uh, he was also laying carpet and part owners in A&H Carpet, which is still on Macaulay Avenue, Alexander and Hollander. Uh, ironically, his partner, Roger Alexander's father, was Wally, and that's Wally's well, next right. door to yeah. A&H on Macaulay Avenue. Uh, my dad also drove a school bus when we started our business and we were selling wood burning stoves we were also a a hardware dealership Uh, we sold solar panels i remember at one time we sold snapper lawnmowers and hot tubs and so (laughs) that's a combination in the 70s he did whatever he could to 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 make it by and then we just became really more focused and even after i bought the business i understood how important it was to have focus Uh, And I preach that today when I speak at events or meet with companies, how important that is. Yeah, and and talk about that a little bit, because one of the things you're doing now are working with companies to help them grow from a consultant basis and even from an investing basis. Yeah, so I just look for companies to help. Because of my background and, and folks knowing we were successful and I was able to exit the business, I do get a lot of calls from other companies and small business owners that want to know how I did it, and I'm happy to help them. I do have a non-compete in the industry I was in, but I'm helping concrete coatings businesses, uh, heating and air companies, smaller home service companies learn how to do it all. Do they have mission and vision and values and how important that is? Do they need a board of advisors? What happens most of the time, and for those that have read the E-Myth, they talk about this a lot, but you have a technician, let's say someone worked for a heating air company, and then they want to go out on their own, and they think they know how to run a business when really all they know is how to work on a heat and air unit. And, And I see that happen so many times. It's a technician that wants to be an entrepreneur. That heating and air employee would be better served to open a cookie shop. So... I try to help them through that process, but what I've found and completely agree with is that most of the time they're involved in too many activities, and they they really need to focus on what works for them and then do more and more of that. And we did the same thing. That's why in the later years I quit building sunrooms and we quit doing roofs and we had focus on our core products and just did them over and over. Yeah, and that's one thing I've found since I've been out on my own. There's a million things I think I can do and, and all entrepreneurs chase the dollar, yeah. but you really do need to focus on those things you do best. 
Yeah, and it's hard to say no for most entrepreneurs, right. uh, and I've been really bad at that over the years. I think I'm getting better. Even the opportunities <laughs> that come along now is what to say no to. But we had a salesman come in. Let's say they sold a $200,000 job, and it was a big sunroom on the back of a house with an addition and a deck, and we would all get excited, and that salesman would make a good commission. Uh, but those were the jobs that typically would take the longest or had the issues, and and we realized, hey, we're really good at replacement windows and one-day bathrooms, and let's just do a bunch of those. And that's what we did the last couple of years we were in business. So when you acquired the business from your dad, and that's, I think, a misnomer out there. People think businesses are inherited, but really most family businesses, there's some kind of sale agreement in there. But when you acquired it in 2007, you got much more aggressive in your marketing. Where did you come up with the Hey Buddy marketing line? Because you were on TV four or five times a night, and that's how people know you. Uh, we actually, we had an employee that would change the letters on our sign out by the road, and he, he put it on there one night, and it was <laughs> everybody needs new windows, and Buddy started, and then I don't know where this mannequin came from that ended up in our office, and it had a Buddy name tag, and everybody would dress it up depending on the season or <laughs> what we were doing. So it wasn't anything brilliant I came up with. It just, <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> it seems brilliant that you noticed that it, was, that it had traction and, and took advantage of it. When you took over, did you know automatically you needed to up your marketing, or what, what were some of the trial and error things you went through to figure out what worked best? So marketing, my father, really not knowing any better, um, and back, you know, it was different mediums back then. He, we advertised with Luther on a 92.3 and maybe sometimes free press. And that was about all my father did, and then a lot of word of mouth and referrals. And that was approximately 1.5% of our volume that he spent. After I got involved in these peer groups and I saw the leads that these other companies were generating, I realized we had to spend more in our marketing budget, and we did it slowly. I didn't jump from 1.5% to 15%. At the time, uh, we hired a gentleman, you know, Brian Brock, who came from radio uh, and had a background in marketing, and he worked with me, and we started TV, and uh, we started on Channel 12, then we went to Channel 9, then we went to Channel 3. Then we got cable. Then when we expanded into Knoxville, our marketing budget grew to $2 million a year, but it happened over a decade. And you mentioned uh, peer-to-peer groups. So was peer-to-peer learning something you knew about, you found out about? How did you get, because you're pretty involved with a bunch of different groups. So we manufactured our own windows uh, from the late 70s up until 1999. And we stopped because, one, we were limited on our capacity in our warehouse. Technology was changing. They came out with triple-pane glass and two-tone colors and wood grain options that we didn't offer. And so I went to my father at the time and said, we we have to find somebody to make these for us. And so we went on a search around the country, and we ended up with a company in um, Michigan called Sunrise Windows, and they actually let me buy into the company. And up until a couple of years ago when they were acquired, I had a small piece of it. And so I sat on their advisory board and helped them decide what new colors to come out with. And so it was a great partnership. And we were with them for nearly 20 years. And they invited me to join a peer group of their top 10 dealers. And that was the, the first group I was in. And I I learned so much from them because I had never been in a setting like that, especially where they were open enough and vulnerable to share financials. That helped a lot. And then I got invited 
uh, just ironically at a dinner at one of these events down in Florida. I had dinner with a gentleman that was in a group that was facilitated by the National Association of Home Builders, and um, it was incredible. They um, they voted me in. There were 15 of us. Our group was together for 15 years. They're still in existence now. Um, but we signed NDAs. We did not have uh, members of the group that were in any competing markets. We did share financials. Uh, we had input sheets we had to fill out and get our accountant to sign off on. So it was really facilitated well. And I, I learned so much from that group, especially I, I find that a lot of these business owners do not have very good financials and they're not accurate or they're a few months behind, and I just don't know how to win the game if you don't know the score. So I think financials are critical, and so I learned a lot from that peer group. And then, I mean, it's okay to be original sometimes, but if I'm having a problem with generating leads, who in that room's best at marketing, I'll just ask them how they're doing it. Or who's making the highest net profit, i just ask them, how'd you do it? Let's compare our financials. What am I missing here? And the same thing, whether it be with sales or production. So the group was really helpful, and we leaned on each other a lot to learn from one another, and all those businesses rose together. So now that you're out of Holka and you've sold your business, do you still stay in touch with those peer groups? I do stay in touch with them because I made friends with them along the way, and that's what made the group part of what it was. We've actually, over the 15 years, kicked a couple guys out. So um, we had a quote, no jerks, so we didn't let these <laughs> jerks stay. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a pretty good rule. How has that prepared you for what you're doing now? Because you've gone to a second phase of your career. And talk about that. I'm always, uh, I want to learn more. I listen to podcasts like this every single morning. I walk four miles and I listen to a podcast or a book. I want to stay sharp. And I, I realize things change. Nothing stays the same. That was one of our core values at Holco is adapt and evolve. And, um, you know, for those that have read Good to Great, there's so many businesses that, whether it be Eckerd Drug or Circuit City, or we could name several uh, that are not around any longer, Blockbuster, and then you look at their competition, Walgreens, Netflix, Best Buy, and what did they do different? And they continued to evolve, where if you stay stagnant too long, it passes you by. So that's why I want to stay active, no matter what my future holds, and knowing what current trends are and understanding marketing's different now than it used to be. Brian, who I mentioned that worked for me at Holco for over a decade, he and I started a new home service company now, Orange Rhino Concrete Coatings, and we accept that the way we marketed at Holco five years ago or ten years ago is different now. You know, things come back around. Now there's another push for canvassing where that went away for several years. Uh, Facebook algorithms change all the time, so you can't rely on that as much as we could even six months ago. So if you take a shotgun approach, and you know this from your media background, I, I see a lot of money wasted. Mm -hmm. You have to know your numbers and have a great CRM and look at them every single day. Do you find any benefit to the shotgun approach in terms of branding? Yeah, in the beginning, it's going to take a little while to get branded. And, and I recognize that when Holco expanded into the Knoxville market, we even covered all of East Tennessee up to Kentucky. They didn't know us up there. And so it took a little while. We took for granted we'd been down here 35 years and everybody knew who we were. So in a new market, and it, it's the same way with a new startup, it's going to take a little time. And even investing in, let's say, TV, that's your background, 
so many times I would see these companies run ads for two months and then tell me, hey, it's not working. Well, you got to let that snowball start rolling, and it'll get bigger and bigger, and it will over time. And especially with a medium like TV, I think that's important. So you have to know going in that's part of your business plan that you might lose money for six months yeah. before it starts to work. Yeah, and I think that points to the fact that you need to be patient and understand it does take time. Yeah, and there are still ways to pay for the leads, uh, but it gets awful pricey. Yeah. You know, right now, a, a Facebook lead that we actually run can run $250. Yeah, and it's so, pricey. Yeah, it gets up there, but if you build it into your model, work backwards to where you know you're going to make the net profit you need to make and deliver a quality job. Your family's been in the, the Hamilton County area for generations. So Chattanooga, Hamilton County is very important to you. And after you sold your business, you ran for mayor, but you also have a family foundation. Talk a little bit about your community involvement, your dabble into politics, and, and uh, how that not necessarily benefits your business, but what you feel like you need to pay back to the community. Thanks a lot for bringing that up, Mike. Yeah, I did run for mayor, and I lost. Well, that's one, not why I one, brought it up. <laughs> one day I'm going to write a book, and uh, I've already figured out the title, How I Lost to Politics and Won. So, <laughs> No, I did learn a lot through that process. I learned how dirty and nasty it can be, too, and I didn't want to show my daughter that side of it, so I took the high road, and the outcome was the outcome. But I did learn a lot along the way. Um, And, yeah, you know, my father started as a county commissioner back in the early 90s and did that for, I think, four terms. And then um, he ran against an incumbent for Hamilton County trustee and won that race. And I think he's been in there four terms now, too. So he's just a great public servant. And he and I both love to help people. My wife tells me sometimes it's to a fault. But if somebody calls and needs something, I want to figure out a way to to help them. And it's not always that I know the answer. And one of my favorite quotes is, those in the know know those who know. So if I don't know, I'll try to find somebody that does know and, and help people out. And that's just, you know, the way my dad raised me and what he's always done as well. That's a good quote. Talk a little bit about your family foundation. You were very involved in, in the expansion of Children's Hospital, and, and you, you're more involved in a lot of things than I think the average person on the street knows about. Yeah, and I don't know that we always want them to know, but we, we do have our own foundation. My wife and I, Jenny, started that, I guess it's been a decade ago now, maybe 11 years, and we originally did it through the company so that the employees would have a way to participate and give back. And we, we actually asked them what's important to you all that we, you know, help and what nonprofits. So we started with a golf tournament and that built to a concert and a golf tournament. And then that built to a wine tasting and a concert and a golf tournament. And we would typically, you know, profit over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And then we would turn around and give it back to other area nonprofits you know, most of them were related to children. We were active in uh, when they were building the new children's hospital. We still invest with the Jason Foundation and donate to them. The Jason Foundation's based out of Nashville, but they have a local chapter here, and they help raise awareness for teenage suicide and teach parents and teachers what signs to look for. And most of them are related to children. We've helped Isaiah 117 House, which helps foster kids before they get placed into foster care and all the other small nonprofits, Austin Hatcher, uh, the food bank, just wherever we feel led to help. One of the common themes in everything you've done is uh, you like to connect with people. You're a connector. How important is that networking to you? Uh, it's been super important through my career. Uh, I like people most people 
And um, <laughs> why'd you look at me when you said that? <laughs> I wasn't referring to you. I like you. No, it's it's been really important. I did very little on my own. I have several businesses now. Most of them I have at least one partner in. And um, I remember remember the first time I partnered in a small real estate company that owns some commercial real estate out in the East Brainerd area. I mentioned it to my father, and I said, hey, I'm looking at partnering with this individual. And he said, well, that sounds great, but just be careful. I've had two partners in my life, and one of them's still my friend. Uh, I've been very careful about who I partner with, and fortunately, uh, thus far, I'm still friends with all of them. And it's you play off strengths and weaknesses, and I look at partners I have, like this company's called B&M Development. My partner's Bobby Cronin. What I'm good at, he's not, and vice versa. He's he's organized. I'm not. And it's that way, in, like Brian and I, same thing. I'm the visionary. I want to go find the next town we're going to open up in. Brian's in there doing the doing and is organized and making payroll and, and doing the things I don't want to do. And it's that way in all these ventures that I'm in. So I think having the right partner is important, not just a partner. So um, I love partnering with people that have different strengths and weaknesses where they, we can help each other grow the business. You, you fit together like well-meshed gears. Yeah. Uh, related to that, you said something earlier. A lot of times with an entrepreneur, it's the technician who knows how to do something but really doesn't understand the ins and outs of running a business. What would you say to someone listening to this podcast today who may be in that position, who knows how the business works? And they have that dream. How do they get their dream started? Well, one, don't be too prideful to think that you have to know. Seek out help. Do what I did. Join a peer group or call me, and I'll help you connect with somebody else. You can you can find somebody else in your industry in another town and learn from each other. I would also highly encourage those people to check out. Uh, there's a, a nonprofit for small businesses in Dayton, Ohio, and it's called Aileron. It's A-I-L-E-R-O-N. And aileron is the part on an airplane wing that gives the plane lift, and that's the analogy. But it was started by Clay Mathiel. Uh, Clay started Imes Dog Food back in the 80s, and he set out on a mission. His mission statement was to become the largest pet food provider in the world, and he did. And then in 1999, he sold to Procter & Gamble for $2.5 billion. Well, he took a portion of that money, about $300 million of it, and gave back to the small business community, and he built an incredible campus there. I learned a lot there. I've been there, I think, four times now. They have a course for presidents, a course for managers, a course about setting up an advisory board and how to use it. That's important, too. I think a lot of this, when I talk about mission and vision and values and having a board, I think some small business owners roll their eyes. But I think it's critical, and it was for me, if you use it the proper way and you preach it to all the employees. Clay Mathiel, um, I was fortunate to be mentored by him for a little bit, and he's been up there at the same time I was visiting. And he said, if you have a hot dog stand and you're the only employee, you should still have a board of advisors. And uh, prior to selling my business, I did have my own board. Uh, I was three gentlemen from out of town. One was an attorney that had a business background. One was from my industry that was involved in manufacturing. One was a business coach from Columbus, Ohio, and they all brought different strengths to my board. But when we had board meetings, it made me prepare for the board meeting. So my financials had to be accurate. My management team spoke to them. We had to know what our numbers were. And I think so often that technician 
they don't really know their numbers. I, I see these home service companies, they they just grind it and grind it and do it and do it and do it and do it every day, and they're not working on the business, they're working in it. And when I mention that to them, they're like, well, I, I have to go do that. Damn business won't work without me. Right. And I'm like, well, what happens when you're not there? Well, I'll always be there. Well, what if you're not? Right. And so it's developing the systems and having the team. You know, if you're not selling your business, you're the one buying it. And I've always said you're either building a business or you have a job. Right. And sometimes these small business owners have eight or ten jobs, and they're wearing all those hats, and I've been there. But until I learned how to set the team up, uh, and that's why I highly encourage Aileron. And then there's some great new books, too, I could recommend. But the E-Myths, one of the classics, and Good to Great, and uh, Adapt and Evolve. And, you know, I think if they would take the time to do these things, it makes their job so much easier, and then they make more money. Um, and then reinvest in the company, too, and the things you do with your team. I, you know, I see some of these guys, they they have a good year, and they take all that money and go buy a new bass boat and mm-hmm. pickup truck. And it, it's going to take a little while, but you can really grow if you plan properly, and it takes all those things working together to do that. How hard was it for you to make that switch in your mindset to get to the point where you go, I've got to get a board of advisors? Was that something that came natural or you had to force yourself to do? Most likely my visit to Aileron encouraged that. And then the peer group I was in, I realized some of the larger companies in the peer group did have a board and I did not. So for me, it was the example of others. No matter what I thought, there's proof. Tom did it, I can do it, and here's the way Tom did it. And so I think the the board and using the board properly is important, Um, but you have to take it serious. You can't have three guys meet together and give them 500 bucks for coming to a meeting and then go eat dinner afterwards. It's it's gotta be uh, well thought out and planned for and you get the most benefit out of it. And they're taking time out of their busy life to come do it too. So it's, you know, having a proper advisory board meeting. I've been on so many boards, even here in Chattanooga, and um, I was on like six or seven boards at one time. And I just woke up one day and thought, you know, I'm not really making a difference. And I resigned from four of them in one day. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go to a board meeting where you just give me free lunch and I don't have input. If I'm not making a difference, I, I don't want to be there. And that's the way I treated my board. You're here to help me make a difference. I think that's one of the growth things that uh, anyone in their career is learning to say no. Because when you're, when you're first starting to be successful and people are coming to you, you feel an obligation to say yes. But to your point, if you're just going and having lunch and, and rubber stamping, you're not really doing the job. Yeah, it's difficult for me to say no, uh, and I have to tell myself that every day, but I'm getting better at it. I'll give a shout-out right now to Bethel Bible Village. Rosalind Connor up there called me and asked me to be on their board. She said, well, we meet six times a year. We have these subcommittees. We have this golf tournament, and I'm like, Rosalind. <laughs> My daughter's a senior in high school. It's the last year I got her. Um, I'm going to have to say no. Let's let's talk in the future. And that was difficult because I wanted to help, but it was also a relief uh, knowing that I didn't have that obligation. I'll still play in their golf tournament and donate money to them, but you, you got to decide where you put your energy, and then you got to have your family life balance too. Right. And they may be able to put someone on that board who has more time. Sure. That, and I will one day as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're a lifelong learner, and it seems to be the theme throughout your career. I want you to take yourself back to your 25-year-old self. What would you tell yourself that's really important for a happy life? 
I wouldn't get as worked up. I think from 25 to 35, grinding it out before I learned a lot from these different peer groups, I would get really worked up. And as most small business owners, you live with a lot of stress. Uh, and it doesn't have to be that way. I, th- I think that um, learning from others and taking a deep breath and following a system would have helped me a lot when I was 25. And, you know, when I took over the business, it took a while to learn that. And then I think a mission is what we do outwardly to the community. It's what we talk about in front of other people. Like at Holco, our mission was to make it better for our customers, our coworkers, and our community, and we would talk about that. Uh, Vision, which going back to your previous question, if I could help some of these smaller business owners that were the technician trying to be an entrepreneur, um, Vision is really just having the imagination to see in the future where you want to be. And then how do you put that on paper? And I think it guides them to success and it, and it, and it, it lets you see where you're going. And I, I don't think a lot of them, and you can't be too general. They can't just say, oh, I want to make a million dollars one day. You got to be more specific. And like at Holco, our vision was to sell and produce $25 million annually and remain the largest home improvement company in East Tennessee by delivering a wow customer service. And so we talked about that internally. That wasn't external, but to one another and in all our management meetings, we would look at our numbers and say, are we on our way to our vision? And then values. For a long time, we had our core values on the wall, and it was honesty, faith, family, dependability, integrity. And I realized um, that's just permission to play. And if somebody's not honest, they shouldn't work there to start with. So we kept those on the wall, and those are very important, but we recreated our values to be something that was more actionable that we could talk about every day with the employees, like deliver a wow customer service or when in doubt act change and adapt one that a lot of people don't talk about we said make a profit and generate cash right uh, we had you know if you're an employee you got to do that to stay in business so we talked about those a lot and then i would do since we were in we had three locations and we're in different markets it was hard to see the employees face to face every week so i would do a, a video every friday called fridays with matt and we would spotlight an employee or interview them and talk about how they acted on one of those uh, core values that week and how it helped the company. So keeping it top of mind in front of them was helpful, I think, to, you know, I, I realized it was a problem one morning I walked into a production meeting and I said, raise your hand if you can tell me our five core values and nobody raised their hand. Well, your mission, vision, and values have served you well throughout your career. You're still a young guy. There's a lot more ahead for you, but I really appreciate you coming and, and talking to us today. Anything you want to leave us with? Oh, me. Um, Take an audit on your life. A good friend of mine recently, accounting background, said um, when you audit your books, you got liabilities and you got assets. Uh, And if you audit your time you spend today, how much of that time was a liability and how much was an asset? (laughs) That's a great point. Matt, thanks for coming in. It's always good to see you. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.